You know, it's the biggest question that's in the world. It is the question that has haunted for over 2,000 years all of society. And everyone who enters it, every child that's ever born, this becomes the pivotal question of their life. Over these next three or four weeks, I want to give you a kind of a, a grounding point. In fact, we've, we've kind of called this settled. Settled. There are certain things that before we go any further in our going to church and learning about Daniel and the lion's den and all the different things we have to learn, there are certain things that we must settle. And if we don't, no matter what we learn, no matter what we gain, it won't help us. It won't improve our lives. It won't transform us into what God wants us to be. What we see many times in the Christian world today are people who are trying to answer that question and coming up with the wrong answer. Not, not outside the Christian world, but in the Christian world. And because of it, churches, families, even individuals themselves struggle. So over these next weeks, I want to do some different topics on settled, some things that need to be settled. And the first of which we need to settle is who is Jesus? Who is He? Who is Jesus? Well, if you were to ask encyclopedias and different things of that nature, you get some unique answers. And in fact, it says it this way in one of the encyclopedias, virtually all modern scholars of antiquity agree that Jesus existed historically. The quest for the historical Jesus has yielded some uncertainty on the historical reliability of the Gospels and on how closely the Jesus portrayed in the New Testament reflects the historical Jesus, as the only records of Jesus' life are contained in the Gospels. Now, that's not accurate, but it's neat how the world looks at it. And in fact, Bill O'Reilly, a short time ago, a few years ago, wrote a book, Killing Jesus, and, and, and wrote about his thoughts on it. CNN did a documentary, one of the highest documentaries they ever had on their whole program was on Jesus. The History Channel is going to tell you about Jesus. They're going to make new movies about Jesus. They're going to tell you about the temptations of Jesus. Everybody wants to get a piece of Jesus and who he was. And it's ironic to do that. You must first walk away from everybody who actually knew him actually lived during his time, everybody that actually had any connection with him and say that what they knew is not as valuable as what I know now 2,000 years later. I know him better now than the people who actually walked with him. But that's normal for our society. We are notorious for wanting to rewrite history, to take it in our hands and then portray what they really were thinking. We can write a new book about George Washington and throw away all the other stuff that we have and we're going to tell you, well, we kind of know what George Washington was thinking when he was on the boat. We kind of know what George Washington really felt like. We know what kind of man he really was. And in our society, we have to be very careful because what we're struggling with now are people, even some called theologians, with already messed up theologies, going to tell you and teach you who Jesus was. Another one of those uh, encyclopedias would say this, However, Joseph was only legally his father. 
They report that Mary was a virgin when Jesus was conceived and that she was found with child from the Holy Spirit. Sometime between 29 and 33, and they changed it from B.C., which is, is, is uh, amazing how we use Christ's timeline as actually our dates. But in 33 CE, possibly 30 CE, he entered to observe Passover in Jerusalem where his entrance, according to the Gospels, was triumphant and infused with eschatological uh, significance. While there he was arrested, tried, and executed, his disciples became convinced that he rose from the dead and appeared to them. They converted others to belief in him, which eventually led to a new religion called Christianity. Do you see subtly how it goes through? It leaves out the fact that he showed himself to over 300 people. Not just 12, not just 11, but hundreds were on the mountainside when he left. That was a huge illusion. I don't know how many drugs you got to do to all hallucinate the same thing at the same time about the same person. But when you listen to historians begin to write, even though they admit that there was a Jesus, they, they, they can't argue that fact. In fact, when you start to say the historical evidence of Jesus proves that Jesus lived. Let me show it to you. We're not even talking about the Gnostic Gospels. We're not even talking about the things that were written in 200 and 300 AD and stuff that, that totally is, is unconnected. As I said, even using stuff like that, if we tried hard, we could say, oh, see these books. But we even throw those out because they were written so far after Jesus had died. Everyone who ever lived had died that they're not, they're not able to say that we can canonize these because nobody can verify these. But even if we throw those out, it's amazing how skeptics will say, you know what? It's easier to believe in an alien than it is to believe in Christ. Now, they haven't met any aliens either. But because of all the TV programs, and everybody grew up watching Star Trek, so there has to be Klingons out there, isn't? I mean, you've got to believe that there's Klingons. And if you watch Star Wars, there, there's, there, there's got to be flying ships all over the place. And there's got to be a planet of Ewoks somewhere, little bitty furry guys. That It's easier to believe in that, says the skeptics, than to believe in Christ, who actually lived who actually was on the earth, who actually his history declares that he was a man. In fact, they say these skeptics are entrenched in their position, though they do admit that their continued research continues to tweak their thinking. Duh. Phrases come from them are normal like, it seems to me, and in my mind, stood out to me perhaps the crux of the issue. Many people simply refuse to believe in Jesus because they can't wrap their brain around a figure who can't be proven 100% or to be uh, who he said he is. I haven't met Jesus, they would say, so I simply can't know for sure that he lived, much less resurrected. But when you look at the historical records, if we go to the first and second century, we have people like Christian leaders like Ignatius and Clement of Rome who lived during that time, who write historically about Jesus. 
who write in a historical setting of Rome to declare that he was a man. He did live. He was alive. Now, just because they were pro-Christian, they actually got saved. That's like somebody saying, you know what? I believe in blue whales. Because I was on a boat one time and a blue whale came by. And since I saw it, I believe in it. That's like somebody else on the boat looking at me and saying, well, you're disqualified because you believe already. Yeah, but I saw it. Yeah, but, but, you, but you're, 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 you're totally not able to be biased. But that's the whole point. I have evidence. But that's the whole point. You can't be open-minded enough to change. See, the problem is, is that when you're talking about the skeptics, they set it in a way to where if you have any concrete, anything, then it, then it can't be. The Gospels were written within living memory of the events they accounted. Mark's Gospel was written well within the lifetime of many of the eyewitnesses. It's the earliest one. And of all the Gospels, it talks about miracles and, and all the things. Guess which book does it the most? Mark. That's the one, if you were going to destroy all the teaching of Christianity, you would destroy Mark first. Because, man, it's all about raising dead and fixing this. And they, that's the first book out. And they said, yeah, that's what happened. Can't argue with it. That's, that's what took place. While the other three canon gospels were written in the period when living eyewitnesses were becoming scarce, exactly at the point of time when the testimonies would perish with them, they were put into writings. That's why they were written. It was written so that people in our time could know exactly what happened in their time. Paul would later write that, listen, many of you that I'm writing to were alive in that time and you can verify that what I'm writing to you is factual. It's not something hid or made up. Shall we talk about Roman historians who lived during that time? There was one by the name of, of Josephus. He lived from 37 A.D. to 100 A.D. There was another one, Cornelius uh, Tacticius, another important Roman historian, lived between 56 A.D. and 120 A.D. All of these are historians that declare that he lived. The Apostle Paul, most of his writings, even though he doesn't try to go back and rewrite the Gospels and talk about timelines and all the different things, he is consistently declaring, you very well know about Jesus. You very well know what happened. Even the people he's writing to, there was no mystery that Jesus was a man who lived and died and it was reported that he rose from the dead. There was no question in their time when Paul would go from city to city that someone would say, yes, I was in Jerusalem at that time. Yes, I heard about that. Yes, I've, I've, got, I've had witnesses to talk about this. Why is this so important, Brother Lot? Because if we don't settle this fact, if you don't settle the fact that Jesus was a living man, that Jesus actually lived, that Jesus was who he said he was, then nothing else of your theology will ever hold up. It will always become as in our modern time. Well, I don't know. It all will be built off of feelings. It'll be built off of, well, I don't feel like. Who cares what you feel? It's like walking up to a lion cage. And the cage sign says, do not enter. You will be eaten. This is a wild animal. And you just say, I just don't feel like that would happen. Who cares what you feel? There are certain things that are just fact. 
Look at the person beside you and say, feelings sometimes don't matter. Now what you want to eat for breakfast, man, I hope you feel what you're eating. I hope you decide whether you want Pop-Tarts or cereal or a donut. Feelings are important, but there's certain times when feelings have no value. None. And when it comes to Christ, what I feel carries no weight. He either was or he was not. Either he was real or he wasn't real. If he wasn't real, then man, that frees us up in a lot of ways. If he was real, then man, do we have a future coming for us. One way or the other, we have a future coming. There are the general epistles that were written. There are early church writings that others wrote. Shall we talk about even our modern time archaeology? Do you know where they go to before they start digging for lost cities? The Bible. Where do you think they get all of their records? Where do you think they find out all that? We're going to start digging. Let's just go dig over. No, let's, let's go get the Bible because the Bible's been pretty accurate. So when they're talking about Jesus went from this city to this city and he went from here to there, those cities, many of them are still there and the ones that there aren't that they dig up are right where they said they were. The most accurate book, the most accurate words come from this. And this book was written to declare that Jesus was alive. So ultimately what you have to do is decide for yourself if Jesus lived. Did he live? The evidence of history would declare yes. Well, then that takes us to the next question. Then what do we believe about Jesus? If he lived... There's so much history, and doctor, I, I love how I, I got to watch a debate once on, on television between an agnostic or an atheist and, and a Christian uh, scientist, and it got to a point to where, you know, the agnostic finally just looked over at him and said, if Jesus ever lived at all, and, and it was just like, the Christian just like, oh, no, you didn't. And he turns around, and he, he said, are you telling me that Jesus didn't live and the agnostic realized at that moment he wasn't talking to the other idiots he usually talks to. And he said, oh, I'm not saying that. And I thought, yeah, because when you're in a room of really people that actually know something, then you're going to realize that Jesus was a real person that lived. Now, what you believe about him, that's up to you. But you can't start from the premise that he was something of make-believe. So this real Jesus, what is it that we in America believe about him? Well, let me show you four points of today of, of, of what America believes about this Jesus. Number one point, the question was asked that believing in Jesus Christ was a real person who actually lived. 92% of America says Jesus was a real person who lived that's the reason we can still celebrate Easter and we can still celebrate Christmas because we've come to the conclusion that he actually was born and we come to the conclusion that he actually died. 92% of America will, will agree with that. Even though the millennials and the X generation are slowly declining, they're in the 80s now. So almost 20% would believe something so far-fetched that the encyclopedia doesn't even say it, that he never existed at all. But now that's not the problem. 
Because the next question is, what do I believe Jesus was? Well, now we start to run into problems. Within America, within our country, within our churches, if I was to tell you that 90%, 90 out of 100 people stood up and said, I believe that Jesus was a man. Man, that's good. The next question I would ask is, I want all of you to sit down now who doesn't believe that Jesus was God, that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus was deity. Do you know out of that 90, over 40 people would sit down? Over half of them, 47 nearly people, over half would sit down and say, well, I believe he was a man. But that's all. In fact, when the study came out, only 50% out of that group believed that he was God. Of the rest of them, only uh, 20-something percent believed that he was a religious or spiritual leader. And almost 18% said, I'm not even sure what he was have not decided at all. So inside your normal church, inside your normal city, if somebody says, do you believe in God? Oh yeah, man, I believe in God. Well, tell me who Jesus was. Only about half of those people would say, well, he was the son of God. The other half of the country would look at you and say, either I don't know, have no idea who he was, or I just believe that he was a good teacher. And these are people that are going to church every Sunday. These are not people that are, are agnostics or atheists that are telling you that he doesn't exist. These are people sitting in church this morning that are crossing their arms and can't come to the conclusion that he was who he says he was. There's why on Sunday we sit down and we're all trying to convince ourselves, but come Monday we go live our own lifestyle because we've come to the conclusion, I don't really know if he was God, so I must be the God of my life, so therefore I must do what I feel like doing. It gets worse. When he lived on earth, Jesus Christ was human. And committed sins like other people. When that question was asked, 54% said yes. So that even if I believe Jesus lived, 92, what was he? He was a good teacher. Do you think he sinned while he was on earth? Yeah. Do you understand who we're preaching to every single Sunday? I'm preaching to a congregation that this morning has very little understanding many times of actually who it is that they're praising and worshiping. Because tomorrow you're going to go live your life in a way that you don't actually believe He's watching you or following you or keeping up with you or caring about you. You're going to do what you want to do, whatever you feel like doing. And then wonder why it's not working. Do you see now how important it is to know who Jesus is? Are you starting to understand the people that you meet every day, the people you bump in at Walmart, the people that you talk to? 24%, almost 25% said they agree strongly that Jesus committed sins. Sure he sinned, like everybody else. The problem is they can't grasp the understanding of how it works. See, they watch the temptation of Christ and they watch, well, of course he's had bad thoughts. He said, 
Do you understand how Jesus defeated and overcame, as He said in His last days, I overcame the world? See, Jesus did one thing that no one else had ever done. He came to earth, He lived on earth, and James describes what sin is. James says that no one can say that God made me do it. But every one of us is drawn away by our own lusts. And when we have conceived that lust and thought about that lust and have, it produces sin. So what did Jesus do different than anyone else that ever lived on the earth? That the moment any thought, the moment any thing ever came close to his way of thinking or seeing or doing, he immediately repelled it. Satan, remember, attacks him and tempts him. Remember what he does? He says, he says, if you're hungry, turn these stones into bread. Jesus doesn't sit there and say, well, that would be nice to have some bread. It would be No, no. Jesus doesn't entertain it immediately. Man cannot live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is he doing? He says, I do not have any lusts, but only to do the will of the Father. That's the difference between... When he came to save us and to give us his gift, you know what the gift was? was that from this moment on, you do not have to be bound by, tormented by, destroyed by your lust. That you can be a new creation, transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you don't no longer have your mind, but you have the mind of Christ. Now that's a whole other sermon. It's a good one. Think about that. To have the mind of Christ, that every thought that create a lust comes towards you like, nope. Every thought, everything that would want to come. How much stuff do you sit around and meditate on? How much stuff do you think about, so-and-so don't like me? How much Facebook do you look up trying to figure out this and that and that? Poisoning what little minds you got. And God says, why are you doing that? I did not come for you to entertain, to spend your time, to spend your thoughts, to spend this entertaining. What do you think that's going to create? Lust. I'll be glad when so-and-so gets theirs. They deserve what happened. Do you not realize that what you're doing is you're walking away from the gift that was given to you, which is the mind of Christ, which means you don't have to entertain all the garbage that the world says, hey, entertain this. That's the gift. But 50% would say, no, no, he's just like us. He, he sat there and, you know, Wanted to do bad stuff and fought off bad thoughts. and No, he didn't. Here's the other thing. Have you made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ that is still important in my life today? Now this is asked among Christians. Among all of those, only 62% could say yes. Only 62% said, yes, the commitment I made years ago toward Christ that even today is still the most important thing. It means 48%, 40% of people, 40% of people have said no. It was good at the moment, but it's done faded. Do you understand now why it's so important? Why the enemy, his main job is not to just convince you that he didn't exist, 
but who He was. And as we go through Easter, do you even realize that many times the people sitting in our churches, sitting in there, have no idea who we're even celebrating or why we're celebrating them? We think if we just show Him on a cross or we show Do you understand they don't even know who He was? So, I pose the question then. What is then your response to who Jesus is to you? The question then becomes, what is going to be your response then to this Jesus who has made the claims that He's made? Number one, you could say this. That, Brother Lot, I believe he was just a myth. Now, I, I believe he lived. I believe he, he, he lived on earth, but he was just a myth. In other words, his disciples and those who knew him made it all up. They made up all the stuff. They did all the writings. They just they collaborated and, 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 and designed all this. They, they, they kind of wanted to create something so... The only thing you can really take from the Bible is historical writings. You can't take all the other stuff, all the... But it's amazing to me how it's written by the apostles. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and with our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Do you think they believe that? Well, let's just say all of them died martyrs. Yeah, they believed it. You think Jesus, if it was just some crazy hoax or something, he would have died for it? No. They believed it. Reliability of the gospel records are unparalleled. Ten times the reliability of anything else. That is, the amount of early manuscripts, the second most reliable piece of history that we have. All those writers. And it's amazing because what makes it so unique is that Jesus wasn't writing. Remember, Jesus came with one purpose, to make himself a servant. What's unique about the story of Jesus, unlike anybody else, he didn't write an autobiography, he didn't write a, anything, he didn't keep his memoirs, he didn't do all this, he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't write a song for us, he didn't do anything of any nature. All he did was he did what God told him to do. He said, I'm going to make myself in the form of a servant, I'm going to obey God every step of the way, and I'm going to do whatever he's asked me to do. I'm not going to make of no reputation for myself, I'm not going to build myself up, I'm only going to lift up God. He did that to the nth degree. Therefore, the Bible declares of him that because he did this, God has given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess. He perfectly lived out what God calls us to live out, to make ourselves less so that God can become more. Now, we don't do that. We, we, we tell everybody what we did, and we tell everybody what we do, and we, we, we build ourselves. We want to be applauded. We want to be patted on the back. We want to be and Jesus said, I could have done all of those things, but I just did what the Father told me. So all the writings came from someone else. All the songs ever written about him 
came from someone else. He was obedient, even obedient unto the cross. That's who he was. Well, then, Brother Lot, maybe he was just a guru. You know, like a, you see these TV infomercials, and if you start working out on this workout program, and, and if you just do what I've done for so long, you will have a six-pack, and you will look like me in 90 days. You will look like me in a... Maybe that's what Jesus did. In fact, it becomes more of a mystical mindset that Jesus was supposed to live a life so that you could imitate his life and that you could become a mini-god yourself. You'd be just like me. More of the mystic's mentality. Well, if that's the case, then Jesus failed because he never reached perfection. He died. No. Well, then maybe he was just a liar. You're going to have to decide. Was he a myth? Was he just a guru? Was he just a good teacher? That's what people said on the video. That's what he was a good man. He was a guru. He gave us a lot of good teachings. We've even had presidents that said, you know, if we just do what the Bible said, we'd all be a lot better. It doesn't mean they want to do it. It just means we admit that if we just worked out like they say on the workout programs, we'd all feel better and do better. Just like Jesus in the spiritual realm, if we just loved people and cared for people and forgave people and done all he said, then we'd be a lot better too. He was a guru. Or was he a liar? That means his claims are an evil hoax. We just went through April Fool's Day. If that's the case, then this April Fool's Day lasted for 2,000 years. We've written books about him, songs about him for somebody who just pulled the greatest hoax that has ever been. If he's not truly divine, then he's the most deceptive and evil man of all time. Is that who he is? Did he lie about who he was? Well then, brother, I don't believe that, but well then you'll have to believe the other then. If you believe he was a good person, then you just believe he was a lunatic. Right? He must have been a lunatic. Look at that person beside you and ask him, was he a lunatic? In other words, he was sincere. He really meant, he really believed what he was saying. The problem was he just he was just messed up in the head. He believed it. He believed his own lie. He believed his own story. He, he was just a lunatic. He sincerely believed his claims that he was divine, that he was the Son of God. But he was demented. He had psychiatric problems. What is it that you're going to believe? Because we can't go any further. We can't talk about lifestyle. We can't talk about how you're supposed to live and love and forgive. We can't talk about how you're supposed to lay down your life. We can't until you answer the question, who was he? Because who was he settles it all. It settles it. When somebody walks up and says, hey, let's do this. You go, oh, no, no, man, I, I serve the Lord. You even know if he exists. Oh, he exists. He's real. So, so what would be confirming evidence that we might expect if he really was who he says he was? And number one, he, he might assume that his life is the fulfillment what God had determined for him. So Jesus went through all his life and he said, I am 
going to die. John the Baptist who baptized him not only said he is the king, not only said he is Lord, not only, but he also said he's also the lamb. So to fulfill it means he would have to eventually die. He would have to give his life. As he said, he would have to look at his disciples and say, I fulfilled what God gave me to do. And Jesus fulfilled everything. That's what we celebrate. We celebrate the life of someone who fulfilled exactly what God gave him. Number two, we might expect him to have uh, lived a perfect life. So even though he goes through enormous scrutiny through the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and even has to stand in front of Pilate and have Pilate go check his record and all of this, can I tell you the one thing that comes out every single time? They could find no flaw in him. If they could have found one reason to kill him, maybe he slapped his mama one time. Maybe he, maybe he, he, he cursed one time and they said, oh, I was there when he did. They, they brought every person they ever met him, ever knew him, ever come across him. And they, they come up with everything. In fact, it declares that when they finally put him on trial, they brought false witnesses just so somebody would lie to make it sound good. Because they knew we followed him We've watched him. We've interrogated him for three years of his ministry. We've hounded him. And we can find absolutely no flaw in him. Think about that. If somebody followed you for a week, you think they'd find a flaw in you? They followed him for three years. Researched his background. Checked his mama out. No. Number three, you might expect miracles if he is who he says he was. Well, guess what? He did them. If he actually was powerful enough to tell water what to do, he might could walk on it. He might could tell storms to stop. He might could tell leprosy to leave a body. He can might stop by a funeral procession and tell the boy that's laying there, get up. If he was who he says he was, then all the things that they wrote about him in history would be true. Number four, we might expect him to overcome even the most powerful thing, death. The reason we celebrate Easter is because the very thing that he said, he was stronger than. He accomplished. He's the only person that you can go to Jerusalem because of history. You can go to Jerusalem. You can walk through the tombs that they say this is where his tomb was. And you want to know what is in it? Nothing. Hasn't been anything in it for a long, long time. And the only person ever used it only used it for three days. Because he said, I won't need it for long. If he is who he says he is, go with him in your Bibles. And if he is who he says he is, then we're going to have to believe him. Here's what John 12, 44-50 says. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. 
So in other words, if you believe in me, it's because you have to believe in God. The two have to go together. For that 40% of people that say, we believe in God, but we don't believe, Jesus says, you must. If you believe in God, you must believe in me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world. And whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Now that's amazing, isn't it? Because what we want right at this moment is what? To judge. Well, you're going to go to hell. Well, you're going to go. Jesus said, I didn't come to judge. Jesus said, I'm not judging you. Well, if he's not judging me, I'm off the hook, right? Hold on. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the what? Jesus says, I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. Well, I don't want to hear it. You can do what you want to with it. It's not me who will judge you. But it's not believing what I'm telling you that will judge you. You're not going to stand there on the last day and say, I didn't know. Yes, you did. Because Pastor Lot told you he was who he says he was. And you chose not to believe it. Pastor Lot says he still loves me. He did. The church said, I can still come back next week. You can't. That's not your problem. Your problem is, is that now there's a judgment over you that either you don't believe His words or you do. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has this which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me an, a, a command. What I should say and what I should speak. And I know that His command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I... That's who Jesus was. He didn't come to bring judgment into your life. He came to give you opportunity in your life. He came to tell you if you will put faith in who I am, it will transform your life. In our video, they were reading... First John, or John, the first chapter. Go back with me to John 1, verses 9 through 12. Let's read that one more time to kind of reiterate it. Here's what it says. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him... To them gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in His name. You understand it? This morning, that is the biggest question you will ever answer. Will you believe? People ask me for the last 40 years, why do you follow? Because I believe who He says He was. There are days I don't feel like it. There are days I question it. There are days I'm wondering, Lord, do I just make all this up? There's days I have to wrestle through. 
But what has to be settled every day in my life that determines my day is, Tim, today, do you believe what he said? Either call him a liar or get up and follow him. It's not about your feelings. It's not about what you think. It's not about what the world said today. It's not about what they're going to say next week. It's about what he said about himself. In a world where everything is determined week by week, minute by minute, by whatever I feel next, there are certain things that must be settled. And if they're settled, it transforms your life. The reason for these 40 years I've been able to steadily follow the Lord, steadily live the life that I want to, has to first be because I settled the fact that I know that He was who He says He was. I'm not going to wrestle with you. I'm not going to debate with you. I'm not trying to convince you. I'm not trying to call you some name or criticize you or force you to. I'm just telling you this is the facts and you have to determine for yourself whether you think you will ever bump into Him in your future. As for me, there's a 100% guaranteed chance in my mind that one day I'm going to have to stand before my Lord and I'm going to have to meet Him face to face. And I want with everything in me for him to have a big smile on his face and for him to say, Tim, you done good, son. Tim, come on home. With everything in me has determined and settled that fact. I may not feel that 100% tomorrow. I may not feel as confident about it sometimes, but it's always settled in my heart that that is the fact. And therefore, it determines all my decisions. And that is the basis for everything in our lives. Let, let us go a little bit further. Go to Romans 10 and 9. I could do a thousand of these, but let me give you a couple more. Romans 10 and 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Go to the next one. John 11, 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me Though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? What a question. He's standing, fixing to go to Lazarus' grave, and he looks at her and he says, Do you know who I am? You've heard me preach. You've heard my words. You've heard, I've slept over at your house. I've hung out with y'all. But the question that's most important right now, do you know who I am? Have you settled it in your heart who I am? Go to John 3, 16. Last verse. I love this Scripture because there's so much in this one Scripture. John 3, 16. We, we, we just kind of like, oh, God loves, God so loved the world. That's the kind of way we... But it's not the point. I want to show you what the point of the Scripture is. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Okay. So God loved the world and He gave His Son. That's what God did. But listen to what happens. That whoever believes... That's the prerequisite. Oh, I believe in John 3.16. Do you? I believe God loves the world. Yeah, He did. Because He loved the world, what did He do? He gave His Son. That's what He did. But now, you must make a decision. 
Well, I believe in God. That's not the question. 92% of America says that's the question, right? I believe in... No, that's not the question. God says, I know you believe in me. You look around. You, you, I built it inside of you to believe in me. But here's the question. That whoever believes in Him, believes that Jesus is who He says He was, that He did what He said He did, and He's going to do what He said He's going to do. For whoever can believe in Him, that person should not perish, but have everlasting life. A lot of times we don't see John 3.16 that way. We just see it as God loved the world. God loved the world. He gave His Son. Yep, that's His part. But your side of it is, is you have to settle. For it to have any impact for you, you must settle the question, who is Jesus? And that question determines everything about your life. Was He just a mystical figure? Was He a guru? Was He a liar? Was He lunatic? Was He... Or was He who He said He was? As for me, I settled that a long time ago. It's cost me a lot of things and it's gained me a lot of things. But it was settled a long time ago. He is who He says He was. He was the sinless Son of God. He was the Lamb that was chosen before the foundation of the earth to die on a cross for my sins. He lived a sinless life, perfect in every way. Therefore the grave could not hold Him and had no bound over Him. He rose and took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. His name became the greatest name that history will ever know, that world will ever know, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord of Lord and King of kings. That's who He is. I'm not trying to debate you. I'm not trying to convince you or trick you. I'm just telling you that every one of you in this room will have to make a choice. And it's the greatest choice you'll ever make in your life to settle who He is. Will you stand? every head bowed this morning. What do I need to do, Brother Lot? Just what the Bible said. If I believe with my heart and I confess with my mouth, then I'm transformed. Now, I don't need you just to say words with your mouth. I need you to believe it. If you can say, Pastor, I believe that. I want that relationship with the Lord to be my relationship. That He's Lord of my life. That He is who He said He was. And this morning, just in a simple prayer, it doesn't have to be anything right where you're standing. Make a declaration. 
If you want to repeat this after me, we'll pray together. Father, today, I have wrestled with who Jesus is. I have thought of Him as a good person, as a great man. Maybe even as your son. But I've never truly seen Him the way I need to for it to change my life. Today, I accept and I understand that He was not just a figure in history. But He was your Son, sent to this earth for no other reason but me. To die on a cross that He didn't deserve. Sinless and perfect. But He rose from the dead. My sins were buried. And I get to go free. So today... I claim Jesus as my Lord, as the one who saved me, who bought me with a price. From this day forward, no matter what I may feel from time to time, it is settled in me. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is the living Son of God coming again one day for me. And I live each day waiting, anticipating, expecting my Lord's return. Thank you today for forgiving me of all my past and giving me my future. Transform me now each day by my mind as I read your word and I pray. As I grow, help me to become the person that you want me to be. A living image of your Son. Amen. If you meant that with your heart, every time I pray it, I mean it all over again. I use the catchphrase all the time. I said, boy, that was a good service. I got saved all over again. I get saved all over again a lot. Nothing wrong with that. Sometimes we just need to go back and redig that well and remind ourselves of who we are. Our job now is to shine a light. Because Jesus said, I am the light. But then he wrote shortly after that, oh, you are the light. Well, I want to show you, we know personally what we're supposed to do, walk with the Lord and serve him. But before you leave today, I left a couple minutes because I want to show the video of what we're finishing up on camp. Individually, we all live our lives and we try to shine our light the best we can. And people always ask, well, what do we do as a church? Well, as a church, together we can do greater things. And so I want to show you this quick video. It don't take about five or six minutes. I just walked around a little bit and took some clips. And I just want to say thank you for what you've given and show you kind of where we are for those who haven't seen. And this will be sent out to all the churches again because we said it was a two-year commitment on just, just trying to get this situated for these kids. So I want to thank everybody who's just kind of steadily dropped a five or a ten in that building fund or 
Camp Cypress Fund who, who's been faithful and thank you because uh, we believe this year there's going to be more kids, a greater blessing, and more impact than ever before. Let me show you this video and I'll pray us dismissed. building a camp for our kids here in Mississippi. Uh, over this last year, we've got a lot accomplished. God's been really good. And so we just want to, for just a few minutes, share with you how far we've come. We knew this was a two-year project, and with one year down, this is, this is what we've accomplished, and we just want to show you all the great things God is doing so far. All right, guys, the first stop on our journey is outside our dorm rooms. We just finished both sets of dorm rooms, 16 different rooms, and we're excited about the kids being able to come. Uh, this year, all of them are finished. The only thing we like is the awnings on the outside. Those should be finished by camp. We can't wait to have these totally complete by June and excited about that. Let me show you the inside of every one of our dorms. All right, so here we are, guys. This is our dorm room, one of the 16 that we have, and this will house our kids. It has great air conditioning, uh, two different shower areas, four sinks for getting ready for services, everything they need to be able to have a wonderful experience here at Camp Cypress. Excited about all 16 of these rooms and the kids getting to enjoy them. Well, here we are at the pool area. This was a major hit last year. The kids love this. One of the things we want to add this next year is coming up, if we can, is the, is the climbing wall that will go in next over here on this far side. It'll give the kids something uh, else than just splashing around. We've got other ideas and other things we've got coming, but that's the next part of just being able to create that climbing wall so our kids have one more feature they can enjoy here at camp. Well, guys, this was one of our larger projects. As you can see, we built the levee, uh, got all that construction done this year, and water's filling up little by little. And hopefully by next year, maybe even this year, we can do some water activities. Uh, but we're looking forward to having the canoeing and kayaking and even doing some fly fishing and different things to teach kids about stuff they can do on the water and just having a lot of fun. We're excited about our lake area here at Camp Cypress. Can't wait till it's all ready to roll. Guys, the last stop on our tour, of course, we're always building and having to readjust things. One of the things that we kind of learned last year that really didn't work as well as we would like was the flow of the kitchen and having to feed the kids. So what we did was we started our construction on our new kitchen area. So this will allow us to have more room and so the, during the lunchtime, they'll go in and out of the kitchen area and we don't have to break down after every single meal. And the other half here you see will be the girls' dorms for those that are workers. Uh, it'll have two showers, same setup as the cabins. And so those girls that are working as volunteers or missionaries to the camp, they'll have a great place to stay. And so we're excited about that. 
As you know, we're always trying to finish up everything. We did get through with the volleyball court. It's completed. We'll put the ropes and everything back out when it gets time. And then we're still liking a little bit of bulldozer work to level out our fields and working toward that. So I just wanted to kind of share you real quick as we walk through the campus, all that's going on and all that we're still trying to finish. So excited about this year. It's gonna be a few more new things and can't wait for all our kids to get here. Well, everyone, that's the quick overview of all that's been going on here at Camp Cypress and all the different projects that we've got going on. And that was 2021 that we started this and we said that it was gonna be a two-year project. And so this will be the last time that I'm informing you as far as asking you about your commitments, your pledges. We asked everybody to pray about each church because what we want to do more than anything else is we want to create a camp that these kids can bring their friends, that they can enjoy, and through the Church of God, through all the ministries that they already do, they can experience God in an incredible way and have a life-changing moment, just like me, as I shared in the last video. I was called into ministry in that. And our goal is, is we just really want to see that opportunity for every kid that comes through. For them to have the opportunity to have an experience with God, to have a word from God, to have a life-changing moment with God, and there's no better place to do it than camp. So thank you. Thank you for your giving. Thank you for all you've done. And please pray about helping us in this second year by taking up offerings, doing a pledge. If you need me to come to your church and show it, to explain it, the day you want to take an offering, I'll be more than happy to. It's worth not being here for a weekend just to be able to present that to your families and your kids at your church and show them just how powerful and how important this is. May the Lord bless you and thank you so much for helping us with this Camp Cypress project. God bless. Guys, that's what you're doing. That's what each one of us, every offering, every time we get out there and nail another board together, whatever we're doing. Next week, I'll, after each service, I'll kind of have a after-service meeting with whoever would like to know what projects they could help with or what things they can volunteer for. Everything from cleanup to whatever. You don't have to be skilled in anything. You can just say, hey, I'm going to come out here. We'll, we'll follow you around with a tractor, and you can just load lumber up, and we'll take it over and burn it. It's, there, there's all kind of projects. It's just you deciding to want to be part of helping. And so I want to say thank you. And uh, this is just us shining our light as a church. It's something we can do. It's amazing. You think of all the churches, you know, not everybody gets an opportunity to do a real impactful thing. And we're blessed to be able to say, man, we get to touch lives all over the state. We get to touch ministers all over the state. We just had the women's conference here. We're a blessed church. And we're blessed because we want to shine. We just want to shine. So may the Lord bless you. Will you pray with me, Father? Thank you for today. Thank you for sending your Son. Because every testimony that we have, everything that we do, would not be possible without Him. I don't know where I would be today if I had not met Him. If He had not called me into His family. God, I'm thankful 
And I will spend the rest of my life not trying to earn your love or trying to deserve anything. I'm going to spend the rest of my life loving you back. Just sharing my love with everybody I can and with you. Father, that's my prayer for everyone here. Thank you as God we shine our light as Jesus you shined your light many years ago. Shine through us so that we can transform our world. Amen. May the Lord bless you. Go give that devil fits.